This is the Heartland College Sports Podcast Bedlam Edition from 97.1 Sports Animal in Tulsa. I'm Eric G., the co-host of the Pat Jones Show. And coming up on this week's episode, you'll hear from Todd Blackledge of ESPN and ABC. We discussed all the hottest topics in college football. Yeah, NIL, Transfer Portal. But most importantly, how conference expansion affects Oklahoma State. In segment two, which Ryan Aber from the Oklahoman on the Brent Venables slash Kale Gundy situation. I'll explain why I said it that way here in a second. Plus, he'll tell us what he saw at practice on Monday. So let's jump into this first topic, and that's my thoughts on Kale Gundy being fired at OU. And yeah, I said fired. He was fired. He wasn't resigned. It doesn't matter what his statement says. It doesn't matter what the two statements Brent Venables release says. Pat Jones told us on Monday that Brent Venables told Kel Gundy he was going to have to resign. When you tell someone they have to leave their job, that's called firing them. And the only reason it's probably called a a resignation, well, there's a few reasons it's called a resignation. One, because Kel is a long-tenured staff member at the University of Oklahoma, they're probably going to make him whole and give him his salary for the rest of this year. This is me just speculating. None of this information has been released. His retirement, all that stuff stays intact. Plus, with him being a quarterback at OU and pretty much spending the majority of his life down in Norman at that school, he's leaving in disgrace, but they wanted to allow Kel Gundy to do do it with as little disgrace as possible. Where Kel Gundy messed up was in the wording of his original statement, which led us all to believe that he uttered the N-word out of, out, of a mis- or out of mistake one time while reading this kid's rap lyrics on an iPad, and he was mortified, and he understands you know, how, how the gravity of the situation, therefore, he's stepping aside because OU doesn't need the distractions, all right? One time. Okay, after that release comes out, after we on our show mention the fact that Brent Venables asked him to leave, Brent Venables gets hammered all day long on sports talk radio and via social media, and it forces him to release another statement, which says, no, 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 this wasn't a one-time incident. You did it multiple times in the same sitting. And to Brent Venables' credit, instead of saying, yeah, I had to ask him to leave, He said Coach Gundy knew what was best for the program and decided to leave via his own will. He's still putting Kale in a situation where if there's another job that comes up, Kale can say, yeah, I did wrong, I bit the bullet, and that's why why things are the way they are now. Um, Kale Gundy will get another opportunity to coach. Kale Gundy should get another opportunity to coach. I had a chance to talk with one of his former teammates and his exact words to me were Kel Gundy doesn't have a racist bone in his body. That same teammate did point out to me that while that may be true, Kel Gundy has got to use better judgment than what he did in this particular moment. And he'll live, he'll learn from it, and you're still young enough in your early 50s to be you know, be a very valuable coach and recruiter somewhere in America. Could be in the SEC. He could remain in the Big 12. I don't think he'll end up on his brother's staff at Oklahoma State because, as it's been mentioned, he's too much of an OU guy. 
And I don't know that they would necessarily work all that well together. I like Mike. I like Kale, but I think they're two very different people. And I just don't see that being necessarily a mix that uh, either one of them want to get into. As far as Brent Venables goes, this is a huge situation, and it's not a very popular situation, even if what Kale Gundy did is true. It's not popular. We've heard reports that the kid that wrote the lyrics didn't want Gundy fired. None of his position players wanted him fired. Certainly, his his former teammates don't want him fired. Former co-workers don't want him fired. But you've made the decision. You've got to stand by it. But what could possibly happen on all this is if OU does not go to the Big 12 championship game this year, those that stood by Kel Gundy may start chirping to athletic directors, presidents, board of regents, anybody that makes decisions that Brent Venables doesn't know what he's doing running the program. And it's very obvious, starting with the Kel Gundy situation, had he just smoothed things over, things would have been fine. That could happen. So Brent Venables has got to make this all go away by using the best deodorant possible, and that's winning. But there are a couple of things to keep in mind on this. One, Brent Venables, when he finally speaks to the media, because he has it, and that was the trade-off with the media this week, big-time trade-off, which was, okay, um, I won't talk to you about this. You can't talk to any players, but I'll I'll let you watch an hour of practice. Well, when he finally does speak to the media, he needs to answer all the tough questions to the best of his ability, Okay. He needs to. He needs to leave no doubt as to why this was the right decision for the University of Oklahoma, no matter how unpopular it is. The other thing to keep in mind is we have not even begun to hear the whole story on this. And if it's a situation where, let's just say hypothetically, Brent Venables wanted wanted to make all the decisions on his staff and was told that he had to keep certain people and wasn't thrilled about that, he may have seized an opening here to make that decision, to bring somebody new in because that's what he wanted to do in the first place. I'm not saying that's the case, but if something like that is, it's going to get out and generally it pops up at the most inopportune time. So even in a 48-hour, 72-hour news cycle, don't think this one is quite over. And just because we play the hits every day on our show and we're not talking about this, don't think that somebody isn't digging to get to the bottom of it. Real quick, I want to mention this. Um, Trace Ford from Oklahoma State, there are two fantastic articles written about him, one in the Oklahoma and one in the Tulsa world. But thank you, Trace Ford, for sharing what athletes go through when they suffer severe injuries like you did with your ACL. That was a a tremendous read. Um, And what Trace brought to light was the mental anguish that you go through when you're detached from your team. You start to self-doubt whether or not you can play the sport again, one, because you're hurt and you're not 100%. Um, Trace wasn't even going to games, and it wasn't until he went down to see OU, or excuse me, OSU in Texas play that he went, hey, I miss this, and I want to be a part of this, and it kind of got him going again, but he'd sit in his dorm room. Um, There are times that he cried, and I think it's very big of him to admit that, but it reminded me of Andre Robertson with the Thunder, and he talked about his severe knee injury, which kept him out of NBA basketball for two years, 
you're not when you're going through rehab, you're not with the team. And when you're not with the team, eventually you kind of be, become the forgotten individual. Yeah, you're there, but you're not really there. And for an athlete to share just how difficult this was, not just from a physical standpoint, but from a mental standpoint, is very refreshing. And I love seeing these athletes open up about mental health. It's something I care deeply about, having dealt with things myself. You may have dealt with it. You may have people in your family deal with it. Um, but often, oftentimes, as men, we're told, oh, you know, just you know, compartmentalize things and move forward. Um, when somebody like that can share, it's big time. And I wish Trace Ford all the best of luck. And I honestly think that if Oklahoma State's going to go to the Big 12 championship this year, He's got to be 100%. He wasn't last year. Defense was good. But you've lost a lot in the linebacker and in the secondary, and you need that line to stay healthy and make a, a you know, a tremendous – you need that line to make a, as big an impact as it possibly can. And with Trace Ford on one side, Colin Oliver on the other, quarterbacks don't stand a chance in this league. And I bet our next guest is glad that he didn't have to worry about Trace Ford and Colin Oliver. It's Todd Blackledge. Former Penn State quarterback, former Kansas City Chiefs and Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback, now with ABC. And uh, I talked to Todd on Tuesday about all the hot topics in college football, and we start with what he thinks of conference expansion overall. Well, I think everybody kind of saw it coming. You know, I mean, people have been talking about that college football was heading towards super conferences, heading towards maybe a breakaway in terms of Power 5 football from the NCAA and their own governing body and all that. I I think people have been expecting that. You know, we started to see some dominoes fall a few years ago. And then, of course, you know, a seismic move with Oklahoma and Texas, you know, going to the SEC. And then this move with the Big Ten, it was kind of a, you know, very reactionary move, uh, uh, you know, movement by the Big Ten and and kind of a a tit for a tat kind of move because those two leagues right now are, you know, they're kind of distancing themselves from other people in terms of the potential they have financially going for them right now. So, I mean, I guess it's not that surprising. Uh, However, I will say, you know, you mentioned Penn State going to the Big Ten from being an independent. You know, Penn State going in the Big Ten was a much more natural kind of fit in terms of the footprint of the Big Ten. Uh, I would say Oklahoma and Texas moving to the SEC is still somewhat within that footprint of that conference. The the move of USC and UCLA to the Big Ten uh, is rather shocking, just because um, you know it's it's <laughs> it's not in the footprint either that or or they're just casting a very long shadow now from coast to coast. Uh, but it still presents some logistical issues for sure. So where does that leave schools like Oklahoma State? Where does this leave conferences like the Big 12? Yeah, and that's a great question. You know, I mean, I and, and I have a vested interest. I have a son who plays baseball at TCU, and so I, you know, I'm very uh, aware of and concerned for the Big 12. Um you know, I look at a school like Oklahoma State, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, it's the Pat Jones show, but I, I think that they are very well positioned for whatever happens because, you know, with Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12, Oklahoma State becomes maybe the, you know, the top program in that league in terms of stability, 
success over the last several years, continuity uh, in their program, facilities, you know, everything. Um, so they are very attractive, whether they stay as the bell cow, you know, program of what will be a new look Big 12 when, or, you know, when those other four schools join uh, in another year, uh, if it stays intact that way, or if, if those two other conferences look to expand further, uh, Oklahoma State will be a very attractive program and a school, uh, uh, and, and I would expect that they would get a phone call. You know, So uh, I, I think a school like Oklahoma State um, is, is in a pretty good place. Todd Plackledge joining us here on 97.1 The Sports Animal. Todd from ESPN and, and ABC. So, so Todd, we, this is a, a, a conversation Coach Jones and I have many times on this show, and, and it changes daily. What is a stronger yeah. conference right now, not just from an on-the-field standpoint, but from, I guess, a network standpoint? Is it the Big 12, which is going to feature UCF and Cincinnati and Houston, or is it the Pac-10 or Pac-12 without USC and UCLA? Yeah, I. Uh, that, that's going to be a good question. I think we'll probably get some answers to that uh, here shortly. When you know, once this Big Ten deal, which is obviously a blockbuster deal and is in, apparently involving several TV partners and uh, you know worth a lot of money, which again will put them in a you know, kind of a different stratosphere along with the SEC. Um, but then after that, I, mean, I think what happens with the Pac-12 and their current, you know, TV negotiations uh, without USC and UCLA, I think will be very, very interesting to see what the value of that is. Uh, you know, my hunch, I mean, uh, you know, again, for me, uh, I would look at the Big 12 with those schools coming in that are, you know, again, looking at it primarily from a football standpoint. You know, I think, uh, you know, obviously you have to look at it overall, but I think from a football standpoint, I would say that the Big 12 uh, would be a little stronger going forward than the Pac-12 without those, um, you know, without those two marquee major TV market type programs. I mean, those are the, those are the two biggest brands in that league. Uh, now you still have great teams like Oregon. I mean, I've, I'm covering Oregon uh, in the first game against Georgia this year. Utah won the PAC 12 last year is going to be really good again this year, but USC and UCLA, they were your marquee brand names and now they're gone. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that negotiation goes once this big 10 thing is wrapped up. All right, real, real quick, because I, I know you got to go, but there's a couple of things I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about. And just, you know, transfer portal NIL, what guardrails, if any, would you like to see put on, on either one of these things? Well, I think they're trying to put guardrails on the transfer portal in terms of, you know, putting some windows of when kids can leave, when kids can enter the portal. You know, I think that certainly has to be something so that, so that coaches – uh, can have a better idea of how to manage their roster and knowing who they potentially are losing and, and where they need what needs they need to fill. So I think that's the guardrails, you know, to have some consistency uh, of when kids can enter the portal and when they can't. Um, and then I think the other thing is, you know, with the NIL, 
there are no guardrails right now. So uh, that, that's a problem. And I don't know how they're going to put guardrails up as long as, you know, there's no kind of oversight from a national perspective or a national standpoint. Um, and so I, I'm not sure, I'm just not sure how you get guardrails put up with that, but I do believe that that is ultimately going to be necessary because right now it's, uh, it's a little bit like the wild, wild West. And, you know, and I think that, I think that with everything transfer portal and I, and I heard Nick Saban say this, and I've, I've said this for years too. Anytime there's change of any kind, the thing you don't know and can't prepare for is there's always unintended consequences. So there's, you know, the transfer portal and giving kids the opportunity to transfer and then making it so they could go once without having to lose a year of eligibility. I think conceptually great, you know, really good. But there's unintended consequences that have come along with that. Same thing with NIL. You know, I love the concept of, of players – you know, being able to cash in on their name, image, and likeness, uh, and particularly players that are already established at schools and have proven themselves, and, you know, for them to make some money doing speaking engagements or endorsements or whatever, I think it's awesome, you know. Uh, however, the unintended consequence, the biggest one, is that a lot of that money that's being pulled together for NIL is going towards luring kids who have never even stepped foot on the campus yet or haven't played it down or, and this is happening in basketball as well. So I think that's, that's where the guardrails have to get, you know, get, get put up so that somehow, even if it's just within specific conferences, maybe you can't do it overall of all of power five, but maybe it has to just be within each conference and say, okay, these are the rules that we're going to play by in the big Ten. These are the rules we're going to play by in the SEC. We're all going to, you know, we're all going to adhere to that. Maybe that would be, you know, a more realistic uh, way of getting guardrails and expecting or, or trying to figure out a way to get it over all of major college football. If you'd like to hear that interview in its entirety, it's available now at sportsanimalradio.com. Coming up next on the Heartland College Sports Podcast Bedlam Edition, it's Ryan Aber of the Oklahoman and he'll give us his insight on what happened with Kel Gundy at OU. Thank you for listening to the Heartland College Sports Podcast Bedlam Edition. I'm Eric G. Ryan Aber from the Oklahoma and joined me on Tuesday to discuss the Kel Gundy situation and what he saw at practice down in Norman. And I asked him, what more do you want to find out about what went down between Brent Venables and Kel Gundy? Oh, I, I think the, the biggest thing is just... Uh... You know, whenever we get a chance to talk to Brent Venables and ultimately some some players that were in the room and, and see what they have to say about it, that's going to be the most interesting thing. Obviously, Brent Venables has released a couple of statements, but I think it's going to be uh, enlightening to hear uh, how he responds to questions on the topic. This is certainly the biggest challenge for him so far during his eight months as uh, the Sooners football coach. And then uh, to, to hear from uh, some of the, the players that were involved and uh, hear what their reactions were in the moment and what their reactions are, you know, now that we know, uh, you know, what's, uh, what the uh, move has been since then. Well, as far as Brent Venable's speaking, 
Will he tell us more than anything than what he put out in that statement on on Monday, the sec the second one? Now, I I don't think he will as far as detail, but I I think he will certainly have to answer or not have to answer, but you'll be able to tell a lot by the way that he goes about answering. How forceful is he with things? You know, what does he talk about as far as the decision process that led up to it and uh, that whatever it was 48 or 72 hours between when it the uh, incident uh, happened and when uh, Kale Gundy released a statement on Sunday night that he was resigning so um, I, I think it's less about what he says than uh, how he says it and the demeanor with which he says it you know, Ryan one thing that I've said about these the, this this story um, I think a lot of fans want it to go away because they're afraid of how it can have, can affect the season. I think the other, it's like anything else. You you get so bombarded with it, you want to you just want to hear people talk about something other than that. But these stories do have a way of sticking, and they do have a way of popping back up at some really inconvenient times. And I just get the feeling there is so much more to this story that we j- we don't know from Brent Venable's side more than Kel Gundy's side. And it's it, it, it's when that stuff starts to come out, I, I kind of wonder how that affects Brent Venable's and starts to affect the program. Which is why I think that Brent Venable's had to be, uh, you know, sort of decisive in this moment. I know it's, it's termed a resignation, but I don't think there's anybody out there who believes anything other than it was, you know, resign or be fired. The question is who ultimately made that decision uh, there to, uh, you know, have that happen. Uh, You know, I I think the more decisive Brent Venables is, the less room there is for other stuff to uh, weave its way in. Now, there's going to be consequences to this, not the least of which are in recruiting, where Kale Gundy has been their most successful recruiter over really over the last uh, you know 23 years so and he had been a big part of the some of the wide receivers that they had uh, brought in as, as part of their uh, 2023 class that are likely going to uh, look at other options now but uh, as far as any long-term fallout I think unless more comes out the uh, decisiveness with which this happened. And I think that's a big reason why Brent Venables came out with the second statement yesterday that mentioned that it had been, the word had been said multiple times versus just once uh, to uh, sort of tamp some of that talk down. As I know a lot of people were fired up and, and wondering why uh, this would cause uh, Kale Gundy's OU career to end on one slip up, but the reality is, you know, that's a word you cannot say, and certainly to do it multiple times is is different from just happening to read it once on an iPad. Talking with Ryan Aber here on 97.1 The Sports Animal, your home for sports. He's the beat reporter for OU for the Oklahoma. And okay, so Ryan um, brings to mind this. Yesterday we saw an outpouring of support for Kale Gundy. Fans, former former teammates, former players, coaches, all of them in support of Kale Gundy. Who is coming out in support of Brent Venables right now? 
Well, I, I think even in, uh, you know, at least one of the statements, even in, say, DeMarco Murray's statement, it was, hey, I, I love Kel Gundy and will always appreciate and, and uh, you know, cherish what he did. But, you know, the acknowledgement that that's something that it, it, it just can't happen. I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the OU administration is thankful for the way that Brent Venables has handled this. Uh, to, to this point, but uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be something that has the potential to uh, divide the players and, and uh, you know create bigger challenges uh, down the road because there are a lot of guys who feel like they owe a ton to Cal Gundy, and even I'm told the player whose uh, whose iPad message got read that sort of led to all this thing was very much in support of Kale Gundy. So uh, that's why it's going to be interesting to me to see how what the players have to say. I know obviously Brent Venables and uh, their, their staff will try to uh, control that message as much as possible, but I think it's, it is also important to hear from some of those guys and, and see uh, what they have to say, especially the leadership of this team and how it affects things uh, moving forward. Well, the trade for you guys not getting to talk with Brent Venables or anyone yesterday, which you guys didn't, you know, media didn't get to speak with anyone at OU, is that you got to watch more practice than you normally would watch. What exactly did you glean from from getting to stay out there a little bit longer? You know, I think we saw the continuation of the physicality from the the, the spring camp with some of the, I call it the modified Oklahoma drills and, and things like that that they were doing even in just helmets and shoulder pads. But, uh, you know, I, I thought the biggest thing to me was getting to see some of the players and the, uh, the, the some of the new players and how they look physically. Uh, you know, the first thing that stood out to me was uh, Davis Bevel's size. When you talk about the quarterback, uh, you know, six, Davis Bevel's listed at six foot six. He looked every bit of that. And it's a really stark contrast with him and Dylan Gabriel, who's listed at 5'11", might be a little bit generous there, uh, you know, standing right next to each other. But the, the DBs, the way that they look uh, physically, especially uh, a couple of those guys, Justin Harrington looked massive uh, out there. And then uh, Kanai Walker as well, just sort of a prototypical what you think of as a, an SEC type of, of DB out there. We'll see how good uh, he is on the field. But I think yesterday was about just getting a look at those guys physically and to, to see the changes that have happened to them over the offseason. And like I said, see guys that uh, we haven't seen before. Um, was there was there anybody out there? Okay, let's talk about running backs specifically. Did any of the running backs stand out? or and I mean, I know it's just drills. But did it look like anyone may have like separated themselves at that position? Um, you know, I, I think it's too early to tell. Obviously, that they they feel like Eric Gray is going to be, and I wrote this in today's Oklahoma. Eric Gray is the presumed uh, number one there, and uh, they expect him to be the starter there. Now, Javante Barnes didn't go through drills yesterday. He was on the bike. Uh, he's a guy that I think is one of the ones that I'm most looking forward to seeing, both in the opportunities that we get uh, to see them throughout the rest of preseason camp and 
uh, early in the season because I think he's a guy who's got a chance to come on strong as the year goes on. Maybe he's not a guy who gets a lot of carries early but has a chance to work his way into the role. But that's a really interesting position with those two guys I mentioned, Marcus Major, who hasn't played a ton but has had pretty good bowl games the last couple of years. You know, the question about him is can he stay healthy and uh, keep himself out of trouble off the field, uh, academic and otherwise. And if he's able to do that, I think he's got a chance to have a breakthrough. But uh, it was good to see Bentavious Thompson, the uh, UCF transfer, a little bit. Another guy who looked pretty stout physically, even though he's only listed as uh, 6 190 But, uh, you know, looking forward to getting more of a chance to see him as well in these next few open periods. Just like the Todd Blackledge interview, if you would like to hear the entire Ryan Aber discussion, all you got to do is go on to sportsanimalradio.com. That does it for this week's episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Give us five stars. Tell us we're doing a good job. Or you can be honest, we don't mind the occasional critical review or constructive criticism. That's probably the better way to put it. Hey, it lets us know what we need to improve on. So until next time, may God bless you and your family. As the great Jackie Moon always says, everybody love everybody. And to quote Diamond David Lee Roth, stay frosty.